Tech Fan number one. My name is Tim Robertson, the host of Tech Fan from MyMac.com. And on this very first episode, we're going to have David Cohen as our special co-host. Stay tuned. Episode number one of Tech Fan. It is the, uh, I guess you could say the MyMac podcast as well, but this is not the MyMac podcast. Does that make sense, David Cohen? I think it does. I think the name tells you exactly what it is on the tin. Now, this podcast is originating, um, well, first let's do some introductions, David. My name is Tim Robertson. I'm the owner of MyMac.com, and uh, I've been podcasting for about six years now. And my name is David Cohen, and I've been podcasting for less time than that. <laughs> uh, probably, probably about half that time, two, three years. Um, and I used to, I used to host, co-host the MyMac show with me, with you, and with uh, with Guy, who still who still runs that show. Um, but uh, I, I kind of took a step back for a while, and and now I'm having to come back on a occasional basis. That's right. This show will – I'll always be the host of this show, but there will be at times where I have different co-hosts. There could be times that I'm recording the show all by myself. Uh, a little bit more about myself. I started My Mac Magazine in 1995, and I still own it. It's still up on the web, but it's not a magazine anymore. It's just a website. We do a lot of product reviews. We do interviews with uh, whomever, uh, opinion pieces, stuff like that. Uh, it's very generalized, Apple-focused website. And obviously, because we're falling underneath the MyMac umbrella, we're going to be a little bit Apple-focused ourselves, not necessarily because of MyMac, but because we actually really enjoy Apple's products, from the iPad to the iPhone to, of course, Macintosh computers. What are you using right now to chat with me, David? Uh, I'm actually talking to you via Skype on an iPad. So you're on an iPad with a Skype application. Absolutely. It's the... Um the iPhone, it's actually the iPhone application. There's no dedicated Skype app for the iPad, so it's kind of zoomed up to uh, to full screen. Um, but it's working pretty well, actually. I'm quite impressed. Yeah, I'm kind of impressed with the audio quality. It's not bad at all. What kind of microphone yeah. are you using? I'm just, uh, unfortunately, because because of our scheduling uh, this week, I, I didn't have any decent audio equipment with me, so it's actually just a pair of uh, iPhone headphones the, with, the, uh, with the mic on. It doesn't sound bad at all. I can live with it. Yeah, I, I, as long as as long as I uh, keep still and don't don't brush the microphone, I think it's <laughs> going to be okay. But I I, I think um, f- for the future I'll have to. Um, I'm actually in my office in in the UK at the moment, so for the future I'll have to leave some um, kind of better audio equipment lying around so that if I need it, I've got it. Now I also did the OWC radio podcast, and when I started that, it was December of 2009, and I did 42 episodes. And that was a lot of fun. It was a lot different than what I had done at my Mac. I really enjoyed it. It gave me the opportunity to kind of start podcasting by myself with no co-hosts, uh, no anchor, if you will. And uh, I honestly, I kind of enjoyed it. 
But this yeah. show is going to be a little bit different. Um, some people asked that knew about this show starting up. They said, is it just going to be OWC Uncensored? And I said, no. Uh, number one, I don't own OWC Radio. That's owned by Other World Computing. And, uh, you know, they had a say on what the content of the show was going to be, as they should. They're, they own it. It's their yeah. program. Uh, the only person who owns TechFan is me. <laughs> yeah. So whatever I talk about is totally up to me. Now, here's the situation, David. I had to leave OWC Radio because I took a position with another company. Uh-huh. Um, I was never an employee of OWC. I was more of an outside vendor, if you will, uh, a consultant, that sort yeah. of thing. Talent, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call uh-huh. myself talent, but there you go. So I took a position with a company called Max Specialist out of Chicago. And I am the COO of the company, the chief operating officer. And my time is going to be busy spent driving back and forth to Chicago on a weekly basis and then actually being in Chicago and working. So I don't know when I'm going to have the opportunity from a week-to-week basis when I can record this show. Now, this show will be weekly, David. I just don't know if I'm going to record it on a Monday night, a Tuesday afternoon, a Friday morning. I don't know. Well, it might even be a multiple of those if you uh, kind of if if you're if you're not able to to hook up with somebody, if you you might want to talk about something as it as it occurs to you, or or as it happens in the news, and then come back to it late, later and kind of bring that together into one show. Absolutely, I could definitely do segments. Uh, and if you're familiar with OWC Radio, and I know you listen to a, a few of them at least, David. Yep. Um, I did that on that show. And yeah. I'm going to bring the mentality that I was using to do OWC Radio to TechFan, which means one episode could be recorded like I'm doing right now in the studio, in the MyMac production studio. The next episode may be me sitting in a hotel room in Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could also be, quite honestly, uh, five minutes of that show could be me talking into my iPhone, recording myself, driving down the highway. Yeah. As long as it's safe. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't want to get pulled out no. by the cops doing that because that will be a difficult conversation when you try to expose the officer what exactly you were doing with that iPhone up to your to your mouth. Yes, um, but I mean, isn't it isn't it interesting kind of where we've got to that we're now in this position? Here I am. Um, I've been away a week. I've been traveling all week. I didn't, so I don't have m- most of my normal equipment with me. Uh, you call me up and say, you know, can we do a show? Um, and we kind of come to a mutually ag- agreeable time. Just the stuff I have with me is enough to actually record a radio show. It's crazy. Uh, I, I, and the fact that I'm here in the UK and you're over there in, in the States, 4,000 miles away, uh, and we can hook up and do that. Isn't it amazing that we, we've got to that point that you can actually do something that's broadcast quality, comp- certainly compared to the stuff that was done 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. Broadcasters, the, the quality of broadcasting 10, 15 years ago is much less than, than what we have now if you look at AM radio and that sort of thing. We can just kind of almost at the drop of the hat, um, you know, arrange to do this with the equipment we just have to have in our bags. That's right. Um, it, it, it is uh, sometimes you you kind of look back to how things were when you're growing up and you think we're, we're kind of living in this science fiction world that was, would have been hard to conceive back then. And that's the thing. It's hard to conceive. And it's kind of exciting, too, because where are we going to be 10 years from now doing stuff like this? I don't know. Absolutely. It's yeah. very exciting to think about. But there are no rules, and that's kind of what I was getting to. There's no rules on how we have to record a podcast, what the format has to be. 
if the show is only 20 minutes one week and an hour and 20 minutes the next, so be it. Uh, I Obviously, I don't think anyone wants to listen to me for four hours a day as for one show, but we could do that if we wanted to. That's the nice thing of owning yeah. our own property and our own IP, if you will. And I didn't go back to the MyMac show full-time simply because Guy and Gaz, I think, are doing a great job. They got a lot of chemistry, and they have a certain time that they record that show. It's usually Tuesdays around 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. They get together, they record the show, they edit it. Um, they get it to me, and I get it posted online by usually Thursday. Now, as we're as you guys are listening to Tech Fan Number One, I have no idea what what the date is that this is going to go live. It's not going to be today because I don't have any album artwork created. <laughs> I can't submit it to iTunes until all that is put together. Yeah. So, it, th- quite honestly, David, this is probably probably going to go live in four or five days from now. Maybe this right. weekend, but it could potentially be when I'm sitting in a hotel room on Tuesday in uh-huh. Chicago. Providing they have a good internet connection. So I don't know when the show is going to go live. So in the meantime, I can say that I was on the last MyMac podcast, uh, 311, which was going to go live on Friday, September 17th. Um, but I'm not really returning with that show. And I explained most of this on that show, David, that I'm, yeah. not, I'm not returning to the MyMac podcast. But I kind of am because TechFan is part of the MyMac family of shows. Yeah. I mean, it's it falls under kind of a broad umbrella. But this kind of gives me the opportunity that if I'm not doing anything when they're recording the MyMac podcast, I can pop on for a little while. Uh, and if not, I've always got my tech fan to do. And also as well, it's sometimes it's – obviously when you're recording something, and I know, I know from doing MyMac, when you were recording something at a regular sum every week – Sometimes you felt like the fates were conspiring against you and interesting stuff would happen after you recorded. And by the time you came to do the next show, it kind of things had moved on and it wasn't really relevant to talk about it anymore. I suppose with this, it's an opportunity to be able to, to respond to events um, or, or to comment or to guests that might appear on the MyMac show in a, in a different way. And so hopefully from, from the listener's perspective, it'll be interesting to see, to see how the two shows bounce off each other. It's going to be fun, no matter what happens. Let's talk a little bit about technology, David. Um, here in the United States, the FCC is calling for a new class of bigger and better internal, and uh, I'm sorry, of internet connections. And one of them is called the super Wi-Fi, which is supposed to be able to go through walls, go longer distances. I think, I don't know how, how well super Wi-Fi is going to play out. But isn't that the biggest problem we're facing technology-wise today, that we just don't have fast enough Internet connections everywhere yet? I mean, you and I kind of live in areas where we have it. But but for the most part, there's not enough easily accessible Internet connection. And it's got to be wireless. You're not going to run wires everywhere. So it's got to be wireless. Yeah, what kind of what concerns me about about the way – I always get a bit nervous when legislators and, and lawyers and politicians start um, talking about these sort of things because, you know, that um, very often the lawmakers don't understand the technology and don't understand the overview as well as, as perhaps other people in the industry do. What concerns me about uh, super Wi-Fi is unless it can 
unless you have the backhaul, unless you, you ultimately, it doesn't matter what wireless you have, you need to have a high speed connection to the internet somewhere along the line. And and if you if you use super Wi Fi to off, offer um, wireless spectrum to a whole town, then you need a big pipe somewhere for all of that traffic to to kind of get onto the internet to. And I don't see that being there either at the moment. Um, and what worries me is all that all that super Wi-Fi might do is it might move the bottleneck further up the network chain. It could. Rather than necessarily solving the problem. But there are infrastructure issues that you have to deal with in any country that usually private business, unless there's a, a huge profit motive for them to do so, they're simply not going to invest in. They need government grants to make it worth their while to put in the big pipe somewhere and then deploy the super Wi-Fi or the telephone line or the electrical lines or whatever it happens to be. That has to happen. So it's I look at this as more as infrastructure where the government puts out these mandates. This is the kind of network we're going to build. We need your help, private businesses. We're going to pay you to do it with these government grants. And that's how it gets done. That's how the original telephone system in the United States was done. When they wanted to, to wire up you know, the rural areas of Tennessee, there was no way the phone company will ever make money for 50 years running telephone poles and wires to those areas. There's just not enough customers. But the United States government paid for it. So is the plan that they would pay for all of the infrastructure rollout with super Wi-Fi? I think that's still probably ongoing. Um, President Obama's goal is to do stuff just like that, where he his, his goal is to invest in the infrastructure themselves and those types of projects rather than have the government themselves try to build this stuff out because that doesn't make any sense. So you, yeah. you simply give the incentive to the bigger companies that can do it, and smaller companies, of course, that can actually build this stuff out. They get paid. The infrastructure gets put in place. And long term, that's good for commerce. Yeah. Oh, there's certainly I, – I don't think there's any argument at this point that having good internet connection, um, you know, enhances a community. It enhances their ability to do business. It enhances their social functions. Um, it allows people to work from home, so it can involve invo- your quality of life. Um, it, you know, it definitely is a is a benefit um, that that people can really realise. As I say, just the only thing that concerns me is is whether the the injection of ideas and and possibly cash at the start is actually going to end up delivering that in the long run, or whether the blocks will be hit along the way and it'll only go so far. I don't know. It's still too early to say. I mean, it, something has to happen, though. There has to be a tipping point where there's not enough people with access to affordable high-speed Internet connection compared to the big cities that they are. It, it, there, it's just not a level playing field. No. You know, no. you don't I mean, want even, everyone moving to a big city. You just don't. No, even here in the U.K., where obviously our geography is much, much smaller than the U.S., we have exactly the same problem. All the um, broadband is, is concentrated in in the urban areas. We we have a lot more DSL than you have because we don't have a cable television network in the same way that you have in the states. Um, so it's a lot more DSL based. But um, even even with that, um, places I work, there are there are big rural areas where they just can't get any decent internet at all, and they're stuck on dial up. And um, nowadays, dial up just doesn't cut it. And uh, I think a lot of people were hoping that three G wireless would alleviate the problem um, and it just hasn't done because the the cell network doesn't have the capacity for the number of users who want to use it 
Right. So, you still yeah. need to build up that infrastructure to support yeah. it. Yeah. If you if you can you can have a village with three G coverage, but that doesn't help you if every person in that village wants to go on three G at the same time because <laughs> the, cell, the cell network just can't cope with that. It's not designed to cope with that. And I know a lot of people still talk about maybe satellite connections, but that really doesn't work well. No. No, the late uh, again. The problem with the satellite, the bandwidth is there, but the latency is is terrible. And if you have latency, then again, you can't use a lot of the internet applications people want to use nowadays. I mean, the biggest music store in the world is online. It's iTunes. Yeah. Speaking of which, did you see that Google? It's long been rumored that they're working on a music store, but the latest rumors are that it's going to launch really soon. Uh, maybe to coincide with the whole Google TV thing that they've got coming up. What do you, I, It looks to me like basically they're going to copy the iTunes store concept, but instead of local storage, it will be in the cloud. Right. I don't know. I what do you think of that? Do you think there's any room for a new company? And I know Google's a big company, blah, blah, blah. But do you think there's well, any wiggle room for a, a new online music store to, to really start taking away the popularity I, yeah. of iTunes? I, I don't. I think there's room. There's certainly room. There's no. There's no constraint on um, what people buy and where they choose to buy it from. I think what what Google should take note of is that what effectively they'd be trying to do is something very similar to what Amazon have tried to do. Um, I I think Amazon's music store is is successful on its own terms, but it doesn't compete really with iTunes. The problem is and. My feeling with this is something that Google doesn't really understand. I think a lot of people in the industry don't understand is that you can't just copy parts of what Apple does. It's actually the combination of everything that Apple does that makes them successful. It's not just one part of it and the other. It's not just the iTunes store. It's not just the App Store. It's not just the deals they have with the music companies. It's not just the iPod. It's all of those things mixed together and done well is actually what, what gives Apple the dominance that it now has. And you, I don't think you can just copy the music store part and expect it to be successful in the same way. Now, that's not an issue if Google has lower expectations or they want to get something different out of it. But I, I think as commentators, too much of the Internet expects, you know, they have this, this kind of there can be only one syndrome where they assume that if somebody starts a new service, then it must either annihilate the existing service or it's a failure. <laughs> I agree. I'm just not sure that that's actually relevant, really. When you look at what made digital music popular, other than at college campuses and kids just simply trading music back and forth in the early di- days on Napster, um, it really was a music player, the iPod, that became insanely popular pretty quick. And the best way to get music onto it was to sync it with iTunes. In fact, that was the only way. So Apple already had the software in place to transfer information to the portable digital music player, put a store on top of that for just music initially, and now they can sell you the music and you could transfer it to your iPod. And it's still that's still the aspect that no other company that I've ever seen has really got at least as well right as Apple did. No. Just just at, at least just as good. Yeah. And, and if you look at the, the constituents of that infrastructure, 
you've got a music store, you've got the music itself, you've got devices to play on, and you've got a way of getting that stuff together. All of that exists in isolation from iTunes today. You can go to Amazon, you can go to eMusic, you can go to whoever and buy your music from them. You can buy a hardware player from Arcos or from Cowon or from hundreds of different manufacturers. Um, and you've got a computer, you can sit down and you can copy that music on there and off there to your heart's content. But people don't choose to do all those things. They choose to do it with Apple on iTunes. And it's purely because the whole thing is seamless end-to-end. It's a concept that people can understand. Very, think- few, very few people, or maybe a couple of you know, uh, bearded Linux types, enjoy the process of actually tinkering with the technology itself yeah. as opposed to just getting on with the end result, which is buying the music, listening to the music. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, the tech, us techie types who like doing all the tinkering, we're an absolute minority. We're a, a fraction of a percent of the available market for digital music or the available market for digital video or the available market for digital anything else. And if you go for the, the, the general non-technical consumer by building something that's seamless and, and they can understand and, and conceptualize, then you'll own the market, and that's exactly what Apple have done. I would argue, though, that at this point, even most techie people, we we don't want to be dinking around with something. If I just want to sync my podcast that I'm listening to or the latest playlist that I created, I just want it to be on my iPhone. I don't want to have to drag and drop 50 different things and change settings and create a folder on the desktop and then drag that to the music. I don't want to do that. I don't think most uh, people do anymore. But I think I think that's certainly from my perspective. I recognize that's a factor of my age because I'm, you know, I'm 40 and I've got a family now. I just I have very limited free time uh, and uh, too many drawers in my time. So the enjoyment I would have got 10 years ago out of tinkering I just don't get any more because I don't really have the time for it. So I just want to get on with the job. I think people in their, you know, in, in, in people who are at college and in their early twenties, there probably is a there is there is more people there who, who who would still enjoy that process. But that's not a lot, still not a large market. That's right. You know, it's you can't build an be, economy around that. No, exactly. This is because it just doesn't scale well. Um, so uh, and, and you can see that, and you look at things like ham radio. And um, you know, programming and tinkering with motorbikes, and there's all these kind of geeky type niches that people get into, uh, and sometimes they'll stay in those niches their whole life. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll move on to other things. But the point is, is that each of those niches is successful in its own terms. But you, unless it's um, particularly specialised, I don't think you can build a, a large scale commercial business on the top of it. I agree. So where do you think that leaves us with Google TV and the Google Music Store and now the Android phones? It looks like, from an outsider's perspective, that Google is recreating Apple did, but they're almost doing it in reverse order. And all the devices don't work well with each other, and there's still no one central application that you use to manage all these different devices, like Apple has iTunes, which Apple's... You know, it's the Apple TV connects to it, your iPad, your iPhones, your iPod. Uh, it works on the computer, so you can play any of your content there. I, I don't see anything like that from Google. How do the, all these different devices converge to work together? Well, I, I don't think that's actually Google's long-term aim. I mean, Google is ultimately, they're an advertising company. That's their business. And I think what they're doing is they're building out 
different models and infrastructures so that they have loads of different ways of getting eyeballs to see their adverts. I don't think that their long-term objective is to uh, own any one of those particular markets. I'm sure they'd be perfectly happy if it happened, but I don't think their strategy is to necessarily dominate any of those markets. It's about the whole um, breadth of their offering so that they can, you know, if you look at basically how they make money, they sell advertising. So yeah. if they can go to an advertiser and say, okay, well, if you run an ad with us, we can get it on um, the biggest search engine in the world and we can get it on in front of 4 million Android users and we can get it in front of 2.5 million Google TV users and that includes everybody who buys a Sony TV this year. Um, that's a compelling advertising prospect. It drives the cost of the advertising up. I suspect that's their strategy rather than necessarily saying we want to own the digital video space um, for, for, uh, for, for, for their own sake. I don't think they're making a lot of money out of each of those things except from allowing them to, to raise the cost of the advertising. So I suspect that's the approach they're taking. Now, again, I think too many commentators just look at it and say, well, oh, yeah, now Apple's got competition. Um, and Google are going to destroy them. In, in this market, that market, and whether they do or they don't, I think the competition itself is a good thing in its own terms. I'm glad the iPhone has competition. I don't personally, every time I've, I've used a Google phone, I, I don't particularly like it. And I think the um, the the different models and, and versions of Google Android in that market are confusing to consumers. But at least there's an alternative to the iPhone, which is, is, is not a bad thing at all. There'll be an alternative to the Apple TV, and if Google Music has some success, there'll be an alternative to the iTunes Store. A bit of a, a competition is always a good thing in the market. So from that perspective, I welcome it. I absolutely do as well. I don't think it's going to be a big competitor next to Apple. I don't think... See, I... This is my problem, David. When you look at all these different devices and services, they have to start from scratch, and people already own a computer with iTunes on it. They've already bought music, some of it DRM still at this point, if you bought it long ago. Um, You already own all this stuff. You already live in that ecosystem. And it's not like Apple has, you know, stopped innovating in 2008 it keeps getting better and better the newest version of itunes is fantastic it's probably the most solid version i've used in probably since itunes 4 honestly yeah it's certainly on the mac it's it's much improved i i'm not sure uh, i think we need to remember as as apple fans that the actual the the biggest users of itunes are people on windows and i don't know how well how well itunes has improved on the windows side i haven't heard a lot of screaming Honestly, and no. I have been looking because I was kind of curious, and I haven't heard of any. You know, isn't this is an interesting fact? Because iTunes is so popular, Apple is actually one of the biggest developers on Windows at this point. Yeah, with, with QuickTime and with iTunes. That yeah. that's kind of strange when you think about it. I was kind of struck struck by that earlier on today. I was. Um into the corporate presentation, and um, as often happens when people are doing PowerPoint, they like to introduce a bit of video. And despite the fact that video can now be fairly well embedded into, into a PowerPoint presentation, the guy actually fired up QuickTime on his Windows machine and, and played the video back through that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, thought, I thought a few years ago you wouldn't have seen that. No. You would have seen Windows Media Player maybe being used for that, um, but not not QuickTime, and yet there it was. And, and of I, course, QuickTime that... is the oldest of all of the technologies yeah. that are out there as far as internet 
video and it's it's been around forever yeah but i think the reason for that is because it 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 comes as part of the itunes deal if you want itunes on a on a pc you have to have quicktime as well because quicktime underpins what itunes does um so i suspect it's now starting to dominate in the uh in the media space on the windows platform whereas windows media players built into windows has never been particularly great from from what i could see where do you see Windows, or better yet, where do you see Microsoft at in all this? Everyone keeps talking about Google, and uh, I, I don't know where I don't know where Microsoft is. I don't see them innovating anything. I mean, their biggest I, offering lately was what Bing. Yeah, I don't think Microsoft are a big innovator. They've always been a follower. So what they do is they come along, they look at what's successful, and then they copy it normally badly, and then they refine that copy about and by. Generation three, it's actually fairly good. That's how that's how Windows came about. Yes, um, but it's a different world now. Yeah, the thing for Microsoft is that I'm not sure there's a huge driver. There's a political driver for them to innovate. Yeah, I think they're desperate to. They always have to set themselves up against another company. In the past, it was Apple, and, and I think they've kind of forgotten about Apple now because they're so. Oh, I would Google. disagree. I would disagree. They just had. And it was really bad. The Mobile 7 phone group had a funeral with the release yeah, of that. yeah, with the release of the new Windows 7 phone coming out. But and that's just yeah, that's just one group within Microsoft. I don't think it's Microsoft as a whole. I think Microsoft as a whole. If you go and speak to the board of Microsoft, they're very much focused on what Google are doing. Yeah, and they're still trying yeah. to play catch up. But the problem is, Google is so nimble. Even for a big company, it's kind yeah. of surprising how quick they are to react. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't see Microsoft as being a serious threat 10 years from now to any other competitor. Well, I don't think they need to be. The thing is, is that but they... But that's their mentality. If they're not they, the biggest I, and the baddest, is it still Microsoft? Is it still the same company that we're but, used to? But the point is, what never gets any press is they, are, they still own 90% of the computing space. And they pretty much have locked up the... Um, They've very, very well locked up the office productivity space, and they're huge in, in corporate servers as well. So those three product lines generate them, you know, truckloads of cash every single day. And let's face it, if the money is just coming in like no tomorrow, I don't think that's the sort of environment where people are uh, inclined to take risks. I think the media group... Apple does. Well, Apple does, yeah, but that, that Apple's a different mentality. Apple's always taking risks. Well, that's my point, though, is this the mentality that Microsoft has now, is this going to serve them for the next decade? I can't see I, how it will. I, 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 I think ultimately it may be their undoing, but I think it would take an awful long time for them to fall from grace just because of the massive inertia they've got. And also, I don't think they have real competition um, they certainly don't have competition in the office space. They don't have competition. Uh, yes. Well, when you say office, you're talking about documentation. I'm talking about productivity software, Microsoft Office, which is one of their biggest. Yes, yeah. um, they're still servers. they're still kings there. But I, if you're talking about server side and stuff, I mean, and database, you're talking Oracle. You're talking. I mean, there's still a lot of competition there. Yeah. The, the the problem is Oracle and Sun and all that. All of that stuff is very high end esoteric hardware and software uh-huh. whereas windows is commodity hardware and software and i know that you know and isn't the to, commodity though easily replaced not well the problem is is so much of it uh, if, if a new platform would come along today it would have to fight against the fact and i've seen this with linux in the corporate space with with the kind of the the work i do every now and again i go to a client who, who's looking at linux and they very often 
discard it because they basically say, well, we can't get staff who can support it. We can't deal with a company who can support it properly. Um, whereas with Windows, we can. So they, they often discard it, despite the fact that, that Linux might be cheaper. Um, that inertia is very difficult to overcome. And I think any competitor would have to do something really different in the server space to, to push against that. And, and I think that's something that Microsoft kind of banks on. Now, whether in the long term that will last them as computing changes, if you look 15, 20 years' time, when the server, server room is possibly much less important than it is today, yeah. certainly personal, the personal productivity desktop, the desktop operating system and, and software will be less important than it is today, then they might have some trouble. Um, but I think it's gonna, it's gonna be a, it would be a long, slow decline rather than a sudden, sharp fall off a cliff for them. Um, and I think that, that comfort factor probably does stifle innovation within Microsoft. I don't think they're p being led particularly well at the moment. Um, they do need somebody to come along and kind of give them a, a kick and a change in direction. They need now, a Steve Jobs. They do. I think they do. And they need somebody who's got the political clout to actually be able to carry that off. If you look at what happened with Steve Jobs, because he, he was drummed out and then he came back in such dramatic fashion at a time when Apple was really had, had done exactly the same thing. They'd been at the top of their game and they'd had a long, slow slide towards oblivion and they were teetering on the edge when he came back. He, that gave him the mandate to cut lines shut projects down, promote other projects, reorganize the company, uh, and really inject it into, into it, something that, that reflects his vision and has done ever since. Microsoft would need to have the same thing, I think, in order to change the way they are. There's, there's inklings of it. I think what they've done on, on, in their, uh, in their media, media division with Xbox oh, absolutely. 360... I is, think that's is, been great. Yeah, it's been great for them, but, you know... But if same, you look at the person that, that really built that up, He's no longer with the company. No, no. He I, went to I'm, EA and then he quit EA and went somewhere else. I don't even know where he's at now, Jay Allard. But yeah, y you know, it just seems like anybody who starts getting a name for themselves within Microsoft leaves Microsoft, except for Steve Ballmer. But I don't even, you know, I see interviews that he does and he, he just seems completely so out of touch yeah. with what's going on in the real world. I mean, it was just last. Not even a year ago, I don't believe. Yeah, it was the week before Macworld or two weeks before Macworld where they had all the slate announcements. Windows 9 is going to be running on all these great slates, and they showed a bunch of them. And where are these slates? I mean, at that point, we didn't even know about the iPad. It was still rumored. We're not That's even right. a year later, and we, you and I both own a, on an iPad. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so they've... long coming out with anything. Uh, and, and everybody... Everybody talking about iPad competitors is looking to Google Android. They're not looking at um, at Windows at all. What they should um, be looking at is the WebOS. I think it's a much better platform for a a pad type of a device. And of course, that's owned now by HP. By HP, yeah. I think yeah. HP is the one company out there, honestly, that could really start to to take on Apple at their core businesses. The the home entertainment type of, you know, iPad users, iPhone users, because they're going to be able to control the hardware and the software the same way Apple has. Nobody else does that. Google doesn't do that. Microsoft sure as heck doesn't do that outside the Xbox. Yeah. Uh, HP is the only company that's going to have the technical know-how how to make a telephone and a pad and own the software. 
I don't know if politically inside of HP they're going to have the, the kind of clout that they need because in all these devices, software really has to rule the roost. It has to because I don't care how great the hardware is. If the software sucks on it, no one's going to buy it. That's right, yeah. I, I agree with you. I, it does remain to be seen whether HP has the uh, has the guts and the gumption to actually pull that off. Well, they ought to just I hire think... you and me, David, and we'll go in there and... <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm very happy with Mac Absolutely. Special, so I'm not going anywhere. The thing is, I've always liked HP products, but I, they always kind of, to me, they smack of something that's 90% of the way there, never quite 100% of the way there. Yeah, they don't, don't seem think, to have an identity anymore. No. I mean, I, I was in a, a PC world the other day, and there was a big HP section right next to the Apple section, actually, where they had all the HP products laid out. And, there's, you know, they make some really nice computers. Nice looking. It, that, well, yeah, I think I think the source of computers that if you're if you're looking for a PC would probably attract a, a casual buyer. You know, they had some a little bit of design flair. They weren't just the, the standard uh, black boxes that you get from the from the Far East manufacturers. Uh, the problem is is that is that in terms of a design language, it's a bit all over the place, and in terms of what they offer, it's all. I mean, as you say, with the software, it's all the it's all the same software running on different pieces of hardware it, to me i think if they were going to go all out with the tablet they would have to really push it very very hard and i'm not sure they've i think they've got the capability of doing it i'm not sure i've seen any evidence they've got the will to do it and it has I to be a good product right out the door they, does, they can't that, afford a couple flops before they get it right but to yeah, but to be honest with you, I don't think even that just having a good product and just pushing it out the door and, and letting it find its own market is going to be good enough. That's exactly what Microsoft did with the Zune. Yep. Uh, and and it didn't succeed. The Zune itself, it, the first generation wasn't great, but the second generation was actually quite a nice product. But the problem is, um, you know, it, it's like I was saying before with the server thing. It, it was up against a monster. Um, and it, and it just kind of got squashed, despite the fact that you could argue it was a. In some some respects, it was better than than some of the iPods at the time. Um, HP would have the same problem against the iPad, is that um, you know it would be up against the market leader, um, and it would have to be not just as good as the iPad. It would have to be radically better than the iPad and marketed the hell out of in order to really get any traction. I think, and I, I'm not sure whether. That sort of marketing approach is something that HP is comfortable doing. So HP comes to you next week, and they want to pay $5 million to pick your brain on how to market the HP pad. Yeah. What is your advice to them, other than, really, $5 million? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You say, I, you know, I am in... In uh, in Britain, that that doesn't go as far as it used to. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, not. How do, how would you mark a tablet out there right now, knowing that the iPad is there, extremely popular? It seems. How how do you market an HP tablet against the iPad? Well, my my approach would be to um, not just develop a, a good core operating system, but actually get some flagship applications onto it as well uh, and have those ready to go straight out the gate and not just kind of you know the standard stuff not just copies of what you can get on the ipad but some new things um i would sign up some big games developers as well have all of that ready to go at launch and then i would just market the hell out of the thing and i would have it everywhere 
I would have it in every cinema, I'd have it on every TV screen, I'd have it on every bus stop. I would make the thing appear everywhere. The problem you know, with, with I see anybody competing with a slate computer or an iPad, if you will, is they're already starting to get market penetration in areas that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Businesses are using these in ways that you and I would never even think of using our iPad. Um, yeah. There's a, an entire hotel, and Apple has this up on their webpage. They have a hotel now. Uh, there is a hotel now, I should say, that they got rid of the front desks. And there's simply employees in the lounge area or right when you come in. They're holding an iPad that can also read credit cards with that little dongle on the bottom. Yeah. And they just do it that way. Everything's printed wirelessly. And, I mean, that's the way it should be, isn't it? Well, I think what a lot of people missed when the iPad launched was quite what it, I mean, there was an awful lot of people saying, oh, it's a consumption device, not a creation device. I completely and utterly disagree with that. Um, and I think a lot of people are starting to realize that now. It's, it's cheaper to deploy than a laptop. It's easier to use than a laptop. It's fairly easy to write custom software for it. Um, the thing has a battery life that works all day, unlike a laptop. Yeah, all of these things on their own are kind of things you can go, oh, yeah, well, that's nice, that's funny. But put them all together and then put them into a business case and you can actually, can, you can actually can invest, uh, convince a board to say, you know what, for a relatively minimal investment, we can have an absolutely killer system here. Yep. We can, and, and the thing is, is that uh, those of us who are in technology... You know, we kind of like the technology for technology's sake. We kind of say, oh, that, that application is cool. I saw a, a, a web post recently where somebody's replacing their menus in their restaurant with iPads. Yes. So, um, and you can kind of, you can pick what you want off the menu and then it orders it straight away. Now, that's cool. It's, so it's a talking point. It may get them some promotional value and that sort of thing. But ultimately... Um, not it's very. It doesn't make not, a lot of economic yeah, sense. It doesn't. Doesn't really. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really change their world. But you take that sort of process and you put it in a hotel, where all of a sudden you can actually have measurable efficiency improvements. You can have more transactions. You can um, have a better user experience for your customers. Those are the things that actually quantifiably uh, either generate or save much more money than the actual cost of the device itself. Mm-hmm. And the cost of the software itself, and you put that in front of a finance director, and all of a sudden he's going to go, oh, "Hang on a minute, this this sounds like it's a goer." You know, when because uh, that's what businesses are all about. They're all yes. about either doing something better or saving money. And so, if you start to appear those, see those devices in that sort of business environment, that means businesses are trying to are starting to realise that there's there's money to be generated by using this technology. And of course, you're going to get a snowball effect as more people start seeing it and uh, start putting those case studies around. Other businesses are going to go well maybe we can use this as well and that could be a huge growth area for apple you know i would always hear that for a while there the the ipad is it's first consumption and i kept thinking you know i don't agree with it a but so what let's say the ipad was just for consumption i don't see the fact that a tv is not a productivity device as a hindrance to tv sales that's right, yeah. Somebody will spend $2,500 on a 46-inch plasma TV, and it's, you're right, it's only for consumption, but they're prepared. It's, 
that's only a problem as a consumption device. It was kind of used as a bit of a slur, wasn't it? Oh, it's not yeah. a real computer. Right. It's not a real computer because it's only for consumption. You can't do any work yeah. on it. That, I'm sure that Apple was... said, you know what? If somebody will spend $500, $600 on a device just to consume our content that they're also paying for, you know, well on them. But I think Apple always realized it was more than that because yes. they used it for a lot longer than the rest of us had. Well, even if the if the critics were right, though, all Apple had to do was point to the iPad or the iPod and go, and? Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is it is it. I mean, I use mine every day. Me too. I I um I basically I in terms of creation, I'm trying to think all the things I do on it now. I had Office documents on it. I do most of my corporate email on it now because it's much more convenient than a laptop. Um, I do a lot of eBay stuff, and all my eBay auctions are now written and generated on the iPad. I have an application to do that, and it's so much more convenient for me than using a laptop or a, or a computer. Because, again, it's something I always have with me, and I know whenever I need it, I press a button, it's on, and I can use it because it always has charge. <laughs> Excuse me. I've been saying um, – I was saying on OWC Radio, I said it on the MyMac podcast – I probably sat on a couple other shows that I were on lately, two all live. Um, the iPad, to me, personally, is the greatest thing Apple's ever created outside the Macintosh itself. Yeah. I think it's superior to the iPhone in every single way. Um, I think it's superior to anything Apple's ever made except, like I said, the Macintosh. It is yeah. just – it's exactly the right time for this device with the right capabilities – just to take over. I mean, it's such a personal thing. I, I don't know, you know, where you hold yours, but I was a little worried when I first saw the announcement. You know, what's it really going to be like to to look at a website on this thing, even at full screen? Yeah. Because my iPhone, which I've had every generation, well, I skipped the three G because I went to the three GS. It's just too small to to read a web page, but I was still doing it because it was convenient. Yeah. When you hold it that close, your iPad, the small screen, if you will, is completely gone. It's huge. It's right there. Yeah. And it's such a personal experience. And it feels more visceral as you're clicking links. You're touching it. You're swiping that's, it. That's right. You are You are kind of – it's like you're directly touching the internet. Absolutely. And it, and it really is a different experience in every way than either the iPhone or a computer itself. There's a disconnect on the computer. You're on the keyboard. You have the mouse. You're watching stuff move on your screen. And the iPhone itself is just too small or the iPod yeah. Touch, if you will. It's just too small. The yeah. iPad, the size, the intimacy, I think it's – Right now, I can't imagine any product coming out this decade that's going to have such a significant impact as the iPad did. I, I'd agree with you. I think it's it's almost the perfect internet device. Absolutely. Um, browsing on, on the iPad. And it was the first thing I did with it when I first got it, and I was just absolutely blown away. Um, I, I recently, I my, my wife wanted a, a portable device for using around the house for the internet. Uh, I got hold of a second-hand MacBook for her, which she's very pleased with, but... <laughs> She kind of said to me, she said, oh, I was hoping you wouldn't get me an iPad. <laughs> so, you know, I've given her a, given her a laptop that she, she really, really likes, but part of her is thinking she'd rather have had an iPad. And she's not really, I mean, she's she's kind of techie, but she's not, she doesn't enjoy technology for technology's sake. She enjoys technology for what she can do with it. And she recognizes she could probably be more productive on the iPad than, than she is with the, uh, with the laptop. One of the... Um 
topics that we talked about on my Mac podcast number 311, which was recorded before this show. So <laughs> if you go to MyMac.com, you'll find it. Uh, and I'm sure if you go to uh, iTunes, you could find it. In fact, as a matter of fact, if you're listening to this on your portable device, you already know because this show is going to be on the MyMac feed for a while. Um, it'll be uh, it'll have its own too, don't get me wrong, but it'll be on that one. Donnie Yankelo wrote, here's why iOS will replace the desktop OS. And we had kind of a, a little bit of a heated argument that I think in some respects kind of got off topic. Um, I think that the iOS will eventually replace the desktop OS in 95% of all computer needs because right. most people aren't creating, creating complex, you know, Final Cut Pro video. Um, and even that you could do with the iOS. Mm-hmm. The, the, just the really the biggest difference is you don't have access to the system itself on iOS or, you know, any kind of directory per se. But all of that could be addressed easily in the iOS. Everyone has two folders that you save documents to while you're using the iOS device. I think the iOS, or at least the concept of the iOS, will replace the desktop OS eventually. I mean, you've got got kids right around my age, well, at least my youngest kid's age. My young son, two and a half, thinks every single screen is a touchscreen now. Everything. Yeah. He can't understand why he touches my iMac and it doesn't push the song that he knows that I just clicked to play. He wants me to play it again, so he'll go up there and touch it. And he thinks it's broken. It's not working right. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing for me with this. So I've, you know, I, I don't think that's a, that's a short-term prospect. No, I'm not saying next year. And, I, and, I, and when I, I think it's kind of pitched a bit wrong. When, when, when it said, oh, it will replace the Mac, or, uh, iOS will replace, replace OS X, I, I don't think you'll, you'll see Apple port the iOS to Macintosh and offer it on Macintosh hardware. Um, I no. think the Macintosh will remain as it is. I, I recently bought um, a classic Mac, a, a classic two actually, um, which is a, a great machine, really great. It still works great. It's got um, uh, OS seven on it. Yeah, you can go up to seven five five with it. Yeah, and it, you know what? It's a nice computer. But the thing is, I was struck when I was using it that the link between that computer, which was what ninety one, ninety two, yep. Uh, and the Mac I have on my desk today isn't that great? It's, yeah, it's it's been refined and refined and refined, and there's more power there. But basically, functionally, it does many of the same things. The opportunity with iOS is it was that iOS was a complete from the ground up rewrite of not just the operating system but the hardware it was running on as well. Yep. And I think that as you see, if you look how much. Uh, Mac, OS, Mac OS has changed from the Mac Classic uh, and the Macintosh, you know, that, that, that generation machines today to, to what you have today. If you've seen the same refinement process over 15 years that you have with iOS and the iPad, you'll get to a point where basically people will say those old Macintosh computers are classic, they're legacy, but this is not how we compute anymore. That's right. So I think it will gradually supplant, and whatever the fourth or fifth generation iPad is, at that point, they'll probably be looking to launch something that actually is capable of replacing a desktop machine as well as a laptop. Now, when I say and, I... And Go ahead. So, so I was saying that's kind of how I see it happening. Yeah. I think it will be gradual. It will be 
stealthy if you want. I don't yep. think there's a I don't think there's a grand master plan to do that. No. I think it will just evolve over time. And, and I think that's what people get hung up yep. on. They say, Oh, iOS will replace OS ten. It's like, you know, they're all sat there on the in the Apple ballroom planning it, you know, to kill you know, let's cut off the uh the Macintosh, replace it with by the, the same device. token. I don't think anybody wants to do that. Um no, but by the same token, if anybody's going to cannibalize Mac sales, it wants to be Apple. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you keep them in your ecosystem. But when I say I agree, this is how I see it. Right now, um, for even not necessarily heavy computer users, just moderate computer users, those who use Facebook and email and maybe do a little work from home, but not usually, uh, browsing the Internet, that sort of thing. Right now, those types of households has two to three computers in there. Right? Yeah. Five years from now, they'll have one because the rest of it will be iPad-like devices, whether it's from Apple or HP or Microsoft or whoever. Yeah. They'll have one because they still need the functionality occasionally of a full pro-level operating system. But for the most part, for 99% of everything else that they're doing, they'll use an iPad-like device. And so when I say it's going to replace it, that's how I see it. In in five to six years from now, most businesses will only need a file server-like computer on the network for whatever, storage and all that. But most employees won't need anything more than an iPad. Now, graphic design studios and stuff like that, everyone goes, you still need this, that, and the other. You'll need a big screen, but that's easily rectified. You know, as more people get used to a touch-based interface, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of innovation. Mm, definitely. You know. So, and to me, what's what's going to be interesting as well is when some of these three or four different devices we have kind of around here start communicating more closely with each other. Well, that's already you know, happening. Yeah. If you look at iOS 4.2, uh, which Apple has now confirmed, this is coming to the iPhone as well, printing. Yeah. That's just one small step right there. Yeah, but for me, I'd like to see, uh, and I think this will happen, but I'd like to see if I have an iPhone and I have an iPad, for those devices to be more of um, two views on the same whole rather than being two distinct devices. I agree. It would be it would be great for me if actually, I'm a, I'm a big Dropbox user, uh, and what I love about Dropbox is I can throw something in there and then sync up all my devices to it. Well, you don't even have to sync it. It does it automatically. It does it automatically. That's exactly As soon as you've logged on to the account with the piece of software on that device, then it's always synced. Now, to me, if if my iPod and my iPhone and my iPad were all like that, so effectively they're transparently synced at the same data source with the same applications and the same um, music and the same videos and everything, for me that would be a perfect world. Where I didn't have to, because at that point, then you don't need the Mac in the middle, kind of syncing them all together and keeping them all up with each other. Um, it just just becomes something that transparently happens, and I think that that will be something that comes out of iOS. And once that starts to happen, then I think the uh, the vision of iOS as being the predominant computing platform for somebody really starts to to make sense. Yep, I totally agree. And on the MyMac podcast, I equated it to a consumer OS and a professional OS. That will be yeah. the separation between the Mac OS and the iOS. But David, we're uh, all coming up on 55 minutes. I don't want to make the first inaugural episode too long. So I think we're going to wrap up the very first episode of Tech Fan. I appreciate you coming on, man. 
it's a pleasure and i hope to do many many more me too i mean you know as, as regular as you can swing it would be fine with me of course we both have hectic schedules so who knows and i'm not even quite sure what day this first episode is going to come out but uh, i i would would have to say is it's a pleasure and an honor to be on the first show oh it's my pleasure and my honor man i i we're, okay we should stop that now or we're going to start hugging it out <laughs> so one of the things that the MyMac podcast did that uh, we started a long time ago, David, was our listener invite, and you were instrumental in getting that started because yep. you were kind of, in a roundabout way, one of the first listener invites. I mean, you I produced was, yeah. you produced an entire episode of the MyMac podcast before you were even a part of the MyMac podcast. I did, I did yeah. And uh, <laughs> pretty presumptuous, but there you go. Yeah, but there you. Well, I asked for it, so. Um, but the point was, you know, that's how you got your start in podcasting, and now. Guy and Gaz on the MyMac podcast are doing the listener invite still, but there's no reason that we can't start doing a little bit of that anyways here on TechFan. Haven't figured out the logistics yet, but that's something that we definitely want to look at going forward. But this is going to be more of a generalized show about technology in general. We talked a lot about Apple products today, but more of a broad sense, not just, you know, specific cases like uh, most Mac podcasts do. Yeah, we, we are prepared to accept that Microsoft and Windows actually exists, when many Mac shows don't. You know, I, I've i got <laughs> products from those companies that I like very much. I've got an HP sitting to my right. What is this thing, anyways? A touch smart. No, that's not it. HP Photo Smart. It's, yeah. a, it's a cheap little laser printer, but it's good enough for me. Yeah, I, I, they've just issued us with new laptops at work. Um, I've got a Lenovo X201. How do you like it? Kind of. Ultra portable. I really like it. Actually, yeah. it's it's as a ultra portable machine. It's very very nice. So um, so yeah, I'm certainly not averse to talking about that sort of thing every now and again as well. So uh, as I said earlier, um, I work for a company right in Chicago. We have two locations: one in Villa Park, and one downtown Chicago. If you are very interested in meeting me and saying hi and maybe getting on the podcast that way, uh, maxspecialist.com. Go there for driving instructions. And when you're there, ask for Tim Robertson. I'll come on and talk to you for a little bit. Careful that I don't sell something to you, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, David, thanks a lot again for coming on. Everybody listening, send your email. Um, David, what's your email address? Uh, you can get me at davidcohen at mymac.com. What about Twitter? Twitter, I am David B. Cohen on Twitter. Uh, as for me, I am my Mac on Twitter. Really hard to to remember that one. Or you can send me an email, tim at mymac.com. And if you forget them, I'll listen to the next show. We'll say them again. <laughs> yeah. we'll, find, we'll put show notes. And there's really not much to say about show notes on this episode, David. I don't think there's anything that we need to link to. Just, no. just uh, But we'll be posting these at mymac.com for convenience sake, if nothing else. And you'll find at least probably five to ten of the first episodes of the Tech Fan Podcast in the MyMac.com podcast feed, too. So you're going to be getting two shows for a while. If it drives you crazy, I apologize. Just don't download this one and hit delete as soon as you see it pop up in your feed. And you never have to hear it. Right? Right. I hope they don't do that. So do I. (laughs) But then they didn't hear us say that if they did. That's right. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap up the show. By the way, theme music this week is the theme music we'll be playing every week. It's an original Kevin Reeves song. 
made specifically for this podcast. He's the guy who wrote the original MyMac theme, which they still play on every episode, and he did the theme for this one. It's completely original. The only place you're going to hear it is right here on TechFan, part of the MyMac.com family of podcasts. See everyone next week.